Greetings. You are listening to the podcast of Ignitus Ministries, and this is your host, Pastor Tom Fillinger, speaking. The challenges presented by the COVID-19 virus and some of the um, political, I would call it, oppression that is taking place makes pastoral ministry even more difficult than it always has been. So I want to focus today on two passages of Scripture, and then I will simply um, share with you a list of pastoral responsibilities that each of us serving in the office and ministry of pastor need to fulfill. The first passage that I would share with you and ask you to read and consider is found in Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. It's labeled in my ESV Bible, Onworthy Servants, and it begins like this. Will any one of you who has a and the text says servant, it's actually doulos, slave, plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? The me is, of course, the master, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So that's the first passage. And of course, the Lord is speaking to the apostles there. The next passage that I would ask you to consider is... In 2 Timothy, you recall this is Paul's final um, letter. He's writing to Timothy. He's in prison. He knows his days are numbered. And the passage I refer to now is chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. And I want to focus on just uh, one verse. He's telling Timothy, and what you've heard from me by means of the testimony, witness, suffering that I have done, these things demonstrate is the translation of the word that I want to focus on. And I think that's the uh, missing ingredient of much pastoral leadership. We preach, we teach, we declare, But do we demonstrate what a pastor teacher must be if he's going to have profound effectiveness upon the lives of the people that he's leading? And most of all, does he demonstrate to those that he is grooming as leaders? Because that's Paul's focus here. He says we must commit these things to faithful men who will teach others also. And in serving over 500 churches in the past years, 
it is my observation that leadership development is is lacking in most churches. Um, I recently examined the budget of a church that's over $2 million for the coming ministry year, and yet only $2,000 out of $2 million is dedicated to leadership development. So there's a, a clear example of what I'm talking about. So we saw in Luke chapter 17 that we are simply unprofitable servants and <clears throat> slaves, that is. And the passage there is calling upon us to do our duty. And as Paul writes to Timothy, he's making it clear that what we are to commit to faithful men who will train, equip, and shape others is we are to demonstrate the qualities of an effective pastoral leader. So I will now share with you um, 10 responsibilities that every pastor has. These are not exhaustive by any means, but they are clearly representative. So here's the first one. We must guard the truth. A pastor must be committed to the Word of God and the apostles' teaching and be willing to preach, teach, and defend those doctrines. Number two, we must preach the Word. A pastor must faithfully preach the whole counsel of God's word, carefully explaining the meaning of the text and applying it to the lives of those under his care. I'm currently working on an ebook that consists of the 10 major doctrines and a definition of terms under each of those major doctrines. Uh, biblical literacy is at a, an astonishingly low state. I encourage people that will read this to go to thestateoftheology.com. That's a uh, survey that's done every two years by Ligonier Ministries. And People cannot obey what they do not know and what they do not understand. Many of the terms, theological terms that people use, they utter them as words. They have no idea what the meaning of that word is and even more profoundly what the application of that is in living out the truth of our Christian faith. Here's the third one. You are to pray for the flock. A pastor must be an intercessor, bringing the needs of his church and people before God and modeling prayer both publicly and privately. I can tell you as I have traveled, pastoral prayer in the Sunday morning service is rarely credible. It's usually just um, a few quick Utterances. In fact, in reading Don Whitney's book, Praying the Scripture, 
he shares with when he was pastoring in in uh, the state of Illinois, he asked a deacon to pray, and he noticed as the deacon was praying, somebody was uttering the same words, and it happened to be the son of that deacon, and what that deacon was praying was the same thing he prayed every time that he prayed, so much so that his son had memorized what his father always prayed. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about interceding for the people that you lead. Number four, you must set an example. A pastor is an example to his flock and must always be aware that others are looking to him as a model. While a pastor must model righteous behavior, he must also model confession and repentance acknowledging he is also a sinner, and teach his people how to apply the gospel to their lives. Number five, visiting the sick. A pastor must visit those who are sick and in need of care and encouragement, and they must train others in the congregation to help care for those in need. I have uh, some friends that are in a care facility because of the COVID. Nobody has been able to visit them. That's a terrible time for them at the end of their days. So figure out a way to do that, men. Number six, comfort the grieving. In the face of death, a pastor must grieve with those who grieve and sensitively remind those who are grieving of the hope and encouragement of the gospel. This involves preaching gospel-focused messages at funerals and graveside services. I've done 23 funerals in the past two years, and at the graveside, I focus on the truth uh, of the resurrection and the comfort that is ours, uh, provided by the God of all comfort. Number seven care for widows. This much-neglected biblical teaching calls for pastors to be responsible, I would say the church to be responsible, for widows and to find creative ways to model care for those widows by involving their families and other members of the church in caring for these special women. Number eight, confronting sin. Pastors must confront sin and lead the church in the exercise of discipline in the hope of repentance and restoration. In the Reformation, there were three primary uh, considerations. Preach the word, the ordinances, which is baptism and the Lord's table, and church discipline. Rarely, rarely do you ever see church discipline done in any way except the final stage, which is punishment and removal. People go from beginning to end without engaging in the restoration process. Number nine, encourage the weaker sheep. Though we can be tempted to easily dismiss people who are slow to change, God calls pastors to model patience and persevering hope by working with those who are difficult, despairing, and challenging. Lord knows there are many difficult people 
that we lead, but we must not ignore them. We must encourage them. And here's number 10, identify and train leaders. It's the primary responsibility of pastors to identify, train, and equip leaders in the church. Every pastor must have a process for doing this in the church that he serves and must be actively seeking out the next generation of leaders. When Dan Ryland was the executive pastor for John Maxwell, when Maxwell was still in San Diego, he would, out of 2,500 members, he would identify 50 men, and he would invite them to a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday um, retreat. Out of that 50, he would then identify 12 men that gave evidence you should not look for potential leaders. You should look for leaders with potential. That's what Dan Ryland was doing. When they got back to San Diego, he invested three years in a process called Joshua's Men in equipping those 12 men to become leaders in the future. And his expectation was that out of the 50, he would ultimately end up with eight men that stayed by the stuff and gave evidence that they were following the Lord in becoming leaders in the church. So Luke 17, verses 7 to 10, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, demonstrate the things that you want other men who will become leaders to model and demonstrate to the church. Thank you for listening. God bless. You can contact me by calling 803-413-3509 or send me an email at iustransforms, that's transforms with an S, at gmail.com. God bless. Until next time, bye-bye.